It's good to be here with you again. And we'll turn to the Word of God in the book of the Acts. And we'll read, first of all, in chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. The last part of this meeting, we'll switch gears a bit to another subject. I was actually asked to consider giving, not ministry, but a report about the work of God in West Phoenix. Now, some of you have heard of what God has wrought in West Phoenix before, so what I'll try and do is do a little bit of a combo message report that I hope will be helpful to everyone and uh, that the mixture of the two won't be too distasteful, mixing two things together. We'll read in Acts chapter 2. What I want to do is I want to read just names and places in the book of the Acts. Just some names and places primarily. That's what interests me. Acts chapter 2. And uh, we'll just read verse from verse 9. This is the day of Pentecost. Verse 9. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt and the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. Chapter 4. <clears throat> Verse 36. Joseph, who was by the apostles, was named Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite of the country of Cyprus. Barnabas of Cyprus. Chapter 6. You'll recall here that there was the Hebrew-speaking widows and the Greek-speaking widows. That There was a question about some being not treated fairly. So they suggest the apostles that they pick out some men to handle that responsibility. And we'll just look, if you look at verse 5, the very end, this is all I want to read, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. And we'll read verse, just read part of verse 14. And a certain woman named Lydia, seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira. Lydia of Thyatira. Finally, chapter 20. And we'll read about some names and places of men who were with the apostle Paul. Verse 4, and there accompanied him into Asia, Sopater, Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timotheus, who was of Lystra, and of Asia, Tychicus, and Trophimus, or Trophimus, or Trophimus, however you say the man's name. A lot of people from a lot of places. I'd like to speak to you for just a few minutes about gospel work 
And sometimes we focus in on gospel work with certain groups. For example, I'm sure you've had times where someone has spoken about how to do gospel work or go, uh, with children. That's very valid. It's a specific group that you work with. It's not a neglect of the gospel work with adults, but it's just that particular group needs special attention and special approaches. What I would like to speak about today is gospel work with immigrants, because that's what we have read in the book of the Acts, a whole list of immigrants, people who are not living or working where they were from. They had emigrated from their home and had immigrated to another place. Now really, when we think of immigration, really, missionaries are almost always immigrants. When Philip, the evangelist, went down to Samaria, and then he went on to Caesarea, he was an immigrant to that place. It appears like he stayed there a fairly long time. He left his home, and he went and he lived in another place. That's immigration. Now, missionaries are immigrants to another country. And uh, God gave us the privilege, Michelle and I, and our family, the privilege of being immigrants to Mexico. We're thankful for that. You learn a little bit about the struggles of language, of culture, of missing foods that you would love to find and you can't find them, of finding foods that you wish you couldn't find, and that's the way it goes. It's challenging living in another culture. And here today, it's very obvious. We have a lot of immigrants with us. I'd almost like to ask, who here is not from an immigrant, fam immigrant family? Andrew's family immigrated from the promised land of Northern Ireland. Dave Hamilton says amen. Others have immigrated. My family came from a combination of places. We're all immigrants. Let's remember that in this country. But specifically, we've had the privilege of not only being immigrants, but working with immigrants in the Hispanic community and West Phoenix. Now, when you come to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, there was immigration taking place. In fact, they were to come together for the feast on the day of Pentecost, but it appears like many of them stayed, for at least for a long period. And so we'll call that, for the purposes of my messages at least, you have 15 places or regions or people that are mentioned, and they all come together. Yes, there's the common bond that they are Jewish, but they come and they live in the city of Jerusalem. And there are challenges that are associated with that. But I want to speak to you now about the characteristics, specifically in the gospel, some of the general characteristics of immigrants that really make it that we should consider when approaching the subject of the gospel. People who have come to this country. Just this week, a survey was released, a study was released, a very good one it appears like, that lists that there are 67 million people in this country who in their homes speak another language other than English. 67 million people who speak another language. We are a country of immigrants, and we need to recognize that. There are 30,000, 30,000, uh, sorry, 30,000, 30 million Mexicans who have, have come to this country. We have Hispanics, and we have lots of other races. Now, if I refer to Hispanics a lot, because that's where God has given us the privilege but when I speak of immigrants, you can apply it to other all uh, countries and nationalities that are represented in this great country 
of the United States of America. And I would encourage you to think not just about the gospel work among your own community, but specifically the opportunities related to working with immigrants. First of all, I want you to think about their spiritual condition. Their spiritual condition. They are in need of Christ. They are lost souls. They are not Mexican souls who are lost. They are not Irish souls who are lost. They are souls who are lost who came from Ireland. Or they are souls that lost that came from Guatemala. They are not legal or illegal souls. They are souls. And before we think of anything else, before as we as believers should ever think of political or legal or all that, let us focus on souls that are lost. And perhaps God brought them from their country to our country so they can hear the gospel and be saved by God's grace. And so I want you to think that's actually what happened. I was so impressed with that in the beginning of the work in Phoenix. There was a man who was in the assembly and Sunny Slope at the time, Mr. Harold Bell, and he had a burden. He was originally from Northern Ireland, and he had a burden for the large Hispanic community, which is now at about 800,000 uh, living in the city. He wanted to reach out to them, but I don't even know if he knew how to say the word taco. He, he didn't know anything about Spanish, but he was burdened about them in an English assembly, and he wrote to a, a number, I guess, including me, a number of times because he wanted to see the gospel go out from an English assembly to a Hispanic community. He couldn't do it, but he was burdened about that, and he was praying about it. A sister raised in an English Sunday school gets saved. Again, seems to be good things coming out of Ireland. From Northern Ireland, her family, she gets saved in the Sunday school, is concerned about other Sunday school students in their family who went to Sunday school with her, and she is burdened to reach them because they speak Spanish. She learned Spanish, but of course she realized the limitations given by the Word of God in terms of preaching, and was burdened that the gospel should come, and she was praying as well. We went out of Mexico when we were living there, uh, trying to learn a bit of the language for about 11 months back in 1998, 1999, and we had to renew our visa, a tourist visa. And by the way, just file this away, you can think about it, most missionaries are working on tourist visas. Just keep that in mind. It's the way it works in countries. You go and you visit. It's the only option. And then you change over to a work visa. And so when we were there, we had to go out and we came out and we came to Phoenix and I met Mr. Harold Bell. And yes, the first thing he said before he said hello was, when are you coming to Phoenix? And I did meet, apparently, but I didn't remember it, unfortunately, Sharon, the sister there. But we went for lunch with a couple, Paul and Jean Vicini and their son, John. They had moved to the Phoenix area and they were looking to buy a small business. And one of their characteristics, one of their criteria was that it would be a business in which they could hire and work and perhaps reach uh, some in the Hispanic community. And so after we came back to this country, desiring to work among the immigrants from the Latin community, we ended up in Detroit for a year, working with a Guatemalan group, and then we were looking for a new work. And my wife said to me one day, what about Harold Bell? And I remembered his exercise. There was interest by Tim McCauley and Ross Vanstone and doing seed sowers. And so I went out for a couple of weeks. That's all I knew. I thought that would be, is what it would be. A couple of weeks of gospel meetings in Spanish. And those couple of weeks turned out. Brother Shad Kember was with me. And we ended up having about nine and a half weeks of gospel meetings. Every single night of the week. And uh, that was Harold's exercise. How did that all happen? I went out for a, a visit for four days to try and find a building. Harold was an engineer, and an engineer 
I mean like as in the stereotypical uh, engineer. No offense to engineers, I have one in my family. But he had diagrams and he had charts and he had it all calculated out. What streets to go on and he kept records. Uh, you would have needed a computer to figure the thing out by the time he was all done. And we looked for places and I called on numbers for four days. And when it was all said and done, we only had two options. A little building that looked like a, a church that wasn't being used, the Bethel Primitive Baptist Church. And I called them and they said, no, they would sell it to us. Well, I didn't have any Spanish contact. How would I ever buy a building? Uh, and so that was off. And the only place to have meetings was in a part of the factory of Aquaspa, where they make spa covers, owned and had been bought by Paul and John Vicini, and Paul's wife, Jean. And so God used them. And we started, that's where we had the meetings. And it wasn't long after that that Harold Bell went home to heaven. I think God said to him, you have a burden for immigrants? I'll take it from here. Mission accomplished. Thank you very much. And he took him home. And so we began the gospel meetings and souls were saved. And I was, it, was, it was contagious. The burden of dear Harold to reach lost souls in a language with which he couldn't speak. But so there's their spiritual condition. But I want you to think about when immigrants come, often they have very practical needs. They do need things like beds. If you ever hear the story of the work in Postville, Iowa, and dear brother Ron Walls, the man is known as the bed man. He goes around and finds mattresses for people who come to town. They're new. He was a school counselor. He knew who was coming to town because they registered their children. And he would go and try, what can we provide? Opportunities to connect with people. With immigrants that come, they often have need. Not all of them. But often they have very practical needs. And we realized that from the very beginning. But we didn't want to lose the focus of the preaching of the gospel. And so we, there was a man who came along, and his, his name was uh, Dr. Goodhart. And Dr. Goodhart came, and he was known as a Doctor Buen Corazon. And that's how they gave him the name. And he would come, and he would, uh, he would give them, uh, what do you call those, sample medicines. And he would uh, listen to their heart. And they would come. And then there was a, a sister who, who was interested in teaching them English. And the sister who wanted to give them computer classes because they didn't know how to, anything about computers at that time in uh, 2001 when we were there. And then we had clothes distribution. And the Christians would gather up all their clothes and we gave out furniture and all of that to try and help their basic needs. But always with the view that they would come, they would hear the gospel. We wanted them to know the gospel and the preaching of the gospel was the most important thing. But practical needs of immigrants present some real opportunities to show them some love and care and interest. But then I want you to think about their openness to the gospel. They are no longer in the place where their families have been, usually, often. They are not where they're living in the small village where everybody knows what everybody is thinking and doing in a village. And now they're a long way from their family. The pressures of family life, the nosy neighbor effect is less upon them. It's the perfect opportunity when immigrants arrive to reach out to them with the gospel. Just to give you a little idea. Don't think for a moment that when it comes to meetings in Mexico that we just open the door and the people fight to get in. I've had that dream too. It hasn't happened yet. There's a lot of people that won't come. But I remember when I had meetings with Mr. Harold Paisley, and he taught me a lot of things. One of the things he said to me, he always called me the boy. He said, boy, always look for places and people with whom God is working 
and just follow along with God. No, I know you need to have sowing times. And you got to sow in tough ground sometimes. But that always impressed me. It's one of the things that drew Michelle and I towards the Hispanic community. I, I was just impressed with it this week. I was down, I said, I mentioned we took a bunch of New Testaments down and mailed them around the country in, in Mexico. And, and so I took all these 15 boxes of New Testaments into the, stacked them up in the post office. And I, I thought that the people in there would just be rolling their eyes, you know, 33-pound boxes, and I stacked them all up in this little office. The manager came out, and he said, uh, can I ask you a question? What's in those boxes? I said, Bibles. He said, oh, okay. And so he was processing them all, and all of a sudden he said to me, he said, would there be any chance you could open one of those boxes and give me one? I set a world record for opening a box. But before I could do that, the other lady said, I was wanting to ask you the same thing. After we had done the transaction there and I walked away, I looked, turned around, I looked back into the office on company time. There was a man at his desk and a woman at his desk sitting there reading the New Testament. Thank God for an open window right now among the Hispanic community, other communities as well. If there is a community that is open to gospel around you, and God might be working there. Burden for immigrants. That's what we sensed when we went to Phoenix. Their interest in the gospel. And so we preached the gospel for nine and a half weeks, and there were some souls saved. And so one way we sat down, Chad and I, over a cup of coffee to try and figure out what's next. And that's when he gave me that famous line. He looked at me and said, Somebody has to move here. I said, yeah, somebody does. He said, I have nine children. How many do you? And right then I knew. And so I went home with trepidation. Michelle was in Michigan at the time. And I called her. And before I could even ask her the question, she said to me, you know, I think somebody needs, we need to move there. God was at work. And he opened the way for us to move there. And it has been great to work among them. And to appreciate their openness. How long will that last? Let me just say this in terms of immigrants. I'm no expert, but it seems to me it only lasts for about one generation. It's a fine opportunity before they get into our culture and be affected by all of our materialism. And again, you understand, I am not neglecting for a moment the responsibility and my personal love for my people, Americans who speak English. But at the same time, the opportunity is there. Is God working with them? And, the, and there's this tremendous openness to the gospel among immigrants, especially first generation. But then I want you to think about their communication limitations. They often do not speak English. Perfect. Because you do. You are the perfect. You say, well, I don't, I don't speak French. Well, that makes two of us. But you can reach them. How? Pray about it. What materials could you get? Just walk up their street. Go into their store. Open the door for them. Say hello to them. Help them out. Express some kindness. You have no idea. You might find yourself in French classes someday. Maybe God will bring somebody. Somebody, you be the herald bell of your assembly to reach the Nepalese, to reach the Sudanese, to reach the Chinese, or any other East. Just reach immigrants who are coming into our country. Opportunities for the gospel. 
the characteristics of immigrants, they become great candidates to receive the gospel message. So when we moved there, and uh, it was about uh, a year after the work began, uh, they wanted to start meeting on Sunday, so we started having a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, a ministry meeting, kind of trained them for the Sunday minute, and I began to teach about the assembly and uh, trying my best, and, and they couldn't quite get the concept. So one Sunday morning, we decided we would have a, we would have a field trip, and we went over to the English assembly. They didn't speak any English, and we took them over there so they could see how uh, breaking a bread functioned. Uh, I was pretty nervous. I just didn't know what would happen if they would want to run up and have some of the bread or drink some of the wine. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. But they sat through it all, and afterwards we all said our polite and, you know, hellos and adios, and, and then away we went. And I asked them, what did you think? I can still remember one brother said to me, he said, I just want to know one thing. Who was telling those men to get up and when to do it and what to say? See, he was just observing. He didn't know. Had no idea of the Holy Spirit the bottom line was, they said to me, what do we have to do to be able to have one of those? Because that's what the Bible says we should do. People who didn't speak their language just spoke an absolute sermon to them that was perfect at the right time. God used it. And they wanted to, and they look up to and enjoy fellowship to this day with that assembly. And the brothers and sisters, it's now not Sunny Slope, it is Orangewood. God provided a building for us. I won't go into all the details. The building that we ended up buying was the Primitive Bethel Baptist Church. It was the only thing that was available, and by waiting a full year, they dropped their price significantly, and uh, that was okay with me. And so, we were able to buy the building. The brothers from uh, West Phoenix, uh, from Sunny Slope, helped, helped us, I helped them, to remodel, and they gave us our building, and we were very thankful for that. And it was in September 15th, 2002, that 21 of us sat down for the first time to break bread. Now let me speak to you not only about the, the characteristics of immigrants, I want to think about some of the potential with immigrants. The potential. Two ways. For those of you who know my dear brother in Christ, fellow worker Shad Kember, one of the things I deeply respect him for is he is a man who lives and breathes the gospel. He's very passionate about souls. And I thought of a blood transfusion to see if I could get some of that into me. And um, so when people got saved, I was more of the mindset, if I'm being brutally honest with you, I was of the mindset of huddle them around and don't let any of them go anywhere. Keep them close. Shad was of the mindset, please give me a list of everybody you've met and are related to in the last five years. And I would say that the Lord used him to instill into the believers in West Phoenix a mindset that we are not the end terminals for the gospel. We are channels. So, young woman gets saved, disappears, calls me from Chihuahua, Mexico, wanting me to go down with the gospel to Chihuahua, Mexico. Got there, she's got people coming to a house meeting. Some people have professed to be saved. One of those people is now in the assembly in West Phoenix. The Lord was already working. I, I just went at the beginning. Eventually, God brought in Gilberto and uh, Alicia Torrens from Venezuela, and they're 
God has used them there. Thankful for that. Another couple, Jorge Karina, burdened about their family in a place called Hermosillo, Mexico. God so arranged it so we could go down there. They're all prepared. People want to come out and hear the gospel. And God was gracious. Other people came. Some of the original people where you go to a place like that, what was going on? Immigrants who came to this country, what was God's way of reaching the gospel into their country, to their families, and to their communities? And thank God we were able to live there and see God work. And there's an assembly in Hermosillo. And, it's, uh, and then in Ciudad Obregón, another place, a sister, the first one, first woman saved in West Phoenix, burdened and constantly bothering Brother Shad until finally he went down with the gospel. Souls are saved, an assembly planted. And then there's another couple, two couples in West Phoenix, constantly at me about Iguala Guerrero. The word Guerrero just sent chills up my spine. And that was before the violence started. And when you go, will you go? I went. It wasn't ready. People weren't ready yet. They weren't interested. Down goes several years later, Duncan Beckett and Chad Kember. And in the first week, there were like eight people saved. It was through the immigrant work. People who had been saved in West Phoenix, they're communicating the gospel. They can't go, but they send someone else. That burden for that, what, the connections that immigrants. Then you have San Luis Rio Colorado, where Dan and Joan Harvey is. There's a couple, there's a sister and her daughter, and Hermosillo gets saved. And when we leave, they're so happy to see us leave. Because now we will be closer to San Luis Rio Colorado to be able to take the gospel to her seven brothers and sisters. None of those brothers and sisters have gotten saved. But God had other people in mind. And so immigrants can produce a tremendous connection. And can I ask you, last time you had a series of gospel meetings, did you pray that God would, be sa- would save somebody? You said, we just need people saved. We're so small, we're so weak, we need somebody here. Maybe God would save somebody here, but really the ultimate is to start a work over there in their country and their community. And you see, that's what has happened. That's where out of Hampton, Iowa, and down to Veracruz, uh, in Veracruz, in Mexico, and out of uh, Portage La Prairie, and La, the work right now in La Purisima in Mexico, and there's all these connections. That is the way God worked in the New Testament. And so you have all these believers, and maybe that's how the gospel got there. There was a man, before you get to work in Antioch, there's a man who's noted as being from Antioch, Nicholas. And before you read about the church in Thyatira, you read about one person in the New Testament, a woman, Lydia of Thyatira. And all of these different places, the connections that come out of that work. We had gospel meetings just recently. Brother Paul Thiessen was up in West Phoenix. God has given us growth and in the last year, and we're very grateful. Brother Kevin and Jack and others have come down and helped us, and they have remodeled the hall once again reconfigured it so we can get more people in. We're thankful for that very much. It's really great. We're enjoying it. And um, one of the people who has been saved in the last three years is a sister. Her name is Araceli. And during the gospel meetings, she came every night with her husband, four children, sat in the front row, and set up a, a video camera. So I thought, oh, this is good. She just wants to hear the gospel again. No. through a hotspot on her phone. Paul Thiessen was preaching on a model of the tabernacle to families in Leon, Guanajuato. And now there are multiple contacts down there and Paul and Barb are going to go over and see what the possibilities are. You see, you never know who the next immigrant might lead you to in their country. Oh yeah, you may have to go. 
You may. Yes, you might get sick. Yes, you might eat things you've never thought you would eat. Yes, you might be able to frustrate it with language. But you never know. This is the potential through their connections. But then I want to speak, just remind you of what we've read about in chapter 20. Look at what we read. We read about seven different men in Acts chapter 20 from five different places. And they were workers with Paul. Well, just allow me, if you would, for the purpose of this message, two of them from Thessalonica. Two of them from Asia. Thessalonica was a specific place. Asia was a region. But there were two of them out of Thessalonica. And commendations. Do you ever have a prayer meeting praying that God would save somebody that one day they could be commended to go back to their country? I didn't. I'm just asking you, were you whether you did? Why not? Who better to go back? I guess I learned that lesson the tough way. I was so great when we came back from Emerald Seal. Been away for five years and we came back. And God had raised up two men, Noé Rodriguez, Leonel Chavez, and there they were. And I thought, this is going to be great. I can finally settle into a place and not have to be on the oversight. I'll just be able to keep at the gospel and not have to worry about that. That's great. But I noticed that Leonel had a real, real burden for souls. A real burden for the gospel. An ability to preach the gospel. And slowly but surely, what I feared most came upon us. God was calling him to Mexico. It was his wife who led us to Chihuahua, a real soul winner, Jamie. And uh, finally the day came and Leonel talked to me and I called Brother Noe and I said, Noe, I don't know. Seems to me like God's calling him to Mexico. He said, I didn't want to call you, but I was thinking the same thing. Valuable elder. Valuable gospel preacher in our assembly. But Brother Shad Kimber had known him from the beginning. So I thought we'd call Shad. Actually, I called Shad before and he said, no, no. I called Shad this time. He said, before you say much, he said, I'd just like to tell you that I think God has been dealing with me on it. As much as I want Leonel to stay there, he said, I think he needs to go to Mexico. We miss him. I'm looking into the faces of some here and you've made sacrifices in your assembly by sending some of your friends, relatives to take the gospel elsewhere. I guess I always thought it should be no big deal because after all, it's for the work of God. Let me tell you, it is a big deal. We could really use Leonel right now in West Phoenix. But God took him to Mexico to work with Brother Shad. Now he's on his own. And they're a great couple down there. And God has used them mightily. We're thankful for them. I just want to say to you, I wonder when we should start praying with all the different immigrant groups that maybe we can't learn the languages quick enough to reach them. Maybe God will save up, raise up people from their countries to come and be in our country. Immigrants. Tremendous opportunity. But it's not easy being an immigrant. Let me talk to you just in closing. Quickly, a minute or two, about the problems for immigrants. One of the difficulties is many immigrants don't come to stay for the long time. It's for economic need, because of the situation in their country, but there's always a yearning to go back home. And believe me, I understand that. 
So in a work, sometimes you'll see people saved and they will have to go home or they will choose to go. Maybe things will change so much that all have to go at once. And if there's another dispersion, it'll be because God knew it was coming and he's just sending more of his people out to share the gospel in different countries. But the temporariness of immigration is sometimes difficult. You get things going, you see people, and then all of a sudden they move. That happens. But it's worth the risk. The other one is the transition. Please understand, having lived just a little bit of it, how hard it is for immigrants who come to our country. English is one wicked language. It is really hard. If you don't believe me, try and teach English to somebody. Michelle's tried a little bit with some of the sisters. I was an English teacher. And now I say I were an English teacher. I don't know what it's all about. It's hard. Have mercy on them. Help them. Don't criticize them. One of the greatest helps to me was a brother who met with me every morning. I don't know how he got up and did this. Every morning when I was down there learning. And he sat while I read for an hour. An hour. It was torture for the poor brother in Spanish. But he would correct me and help me. They need help. The transition. You say, well, it's an English country. Shouldn't they learn English? That's, that's difficult. I, I would just say to all of my dear friends and brothers and sisters who are immigrants here, please understand God does not call us to keep alive our culture and our language. That's not our call. I say that caringly, with lots of love, because I know what it's like to be in a country and love your culture and your language. I remember days when I would have loved for somebody to come up to me and say a really complicated sentence in English, like, hi. You miss it. So it takes balance to decide are we keeping our language and culture because we want to reach out into a community in which there are lots of them? If you live in East Los Angeles, according to this study, the community is 97% Spanish-speaking. So if you're going to live in the community and be a testimony in the community, you better keep at the Spanish. West Phoenix, it's 85% in that particular area code around our hall. So for now, we're keeping it to Spanish, but as Trevor can tell us, we have lots of good, good old gringos in there. We're happy for that. And we now have some who don't speak Spanish. And we have Spanish who doesn't speak English. How do you work that? No, that was a question for you. How do we work that? It's challenging. It takes prayer and guidance, and there's no formula. And there's no, we need to be patient and help each other. The transition. At some ways, there's lots of different ways to go about it. And we all need to consider every situation is different. And the challenge of transition. Because immigrants' children in a state like ours are going to learn English by law. They must learn it. And so now their first generation still speaks only Spanish. The second generation even speaks to their father and mother in English and their parents answer them in Spanish. And then the third generation, well, we'll see what that comes of that. All the challenges. 
Don't let the challenges inhibit immigrant evangelization with immigrants. Look at the possibilities God has given to us. May we embrace them. May we be burdened about them. And may God bless the sharing of the gospel with every soul, whether they speak English or not. May God bless his word.